Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About, presented by Fenley Road Sports. My name is Bob. I'm hanging out talking sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's up, man? Not much. Just got back from Chicago this morning, actually. And uh, great time at the Blackhawks game. Very fun NHL environment. And it was nice to catch up with some friends and have a just a nice weekend and watch a lot of football, too, because my buddy has... Uh, DirecTV's Red Zone with the Sunday ticket, so we watched a lot of games on that, which was really fun fun to do. Good, so I'm talking to didn't the the cool Chris Sweeney again. He's back. Yes, you are. He is back. <laughs> I have DirecTV. At least for this weekend, I had DirecTV. Sweet. Unfortunately, you're always talking to the, to the lame Bobby, because I never have cable, so... <laughs> Yeah, but, well, I mean, there there has to be a third identity then because you don't even have cable. Yeah, I don't know, like mullet, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's cool not to have cable. I don't know. That seems to be trending that way. Certainly. All right, but um, so you're at the Blackhawks game Saturday. Did you have a chance to watch any college football? Very sparingly. I watched a little bit of the Northwestern Michigan game, which surprisingly was very lopsided. And then sort of, I watched the Oklahoma-Texas game because we, we were at a bar for lunch. And that was another surpriser, or shocker, I guess. So, yeah, a couple of surprises in college football this week. A couple of upsets that I didn't see coming. I mean, I know with the Texas-Oklahoma, you got the rivalry thing, but Texas just got destroyed by TCU. I thought Oklahoma would handle them. Yeah, the way Texas has played, uh, you, you thought that this game would be a pretty easy one for Oklahoma, but... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And that is the theme of college football this year is expect the unexpected. I think more so than than uh, the past four years, really, teams are just are losing. And, and big surprises are happening. Uh, there are 10 undefeated teams in the top 11 in the AP poll. Uh, I'm not confident in any 10 of those teams to be the number one team. What about you? Yeah, none of them really inspire confidence off the, you know, when you look at them, when you break it down, I'm not, uh, there's no one that really stands out. No one has had that sort of, yes, we've arrived, we're the dominant team moment yet. I think there have been opportunities for teams to do that. Alabama, most notably, had that against Mississippi. I think if they had won that game, they would have been number one. They didn't. Mississippi had that against Florida. I think if they would have won, they would have been number one. They didn't. So there have been a couple opportunities to take that number one spot away from the Buckeyes, especially since they have not looked particularly dominant through the first half of their season. Can you believe it's already about halfway done? I mean, a lot of teams are 6-0 yeah. and now, so it's kind of crazy. But no one has really stepped up to take the the torch from Ohio State. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, the the big game, a lot of schools have just fallen off the map. I mean, USC, Georgia, Oregon, all in the top ten at the at the start, and they're they're not even ranked now. Uh, you have four SEC teams in the top ten, so you know things are going to change when those teams meet up later in the season. There's just a lot of unknowns right now. I mean, there's a big matchup, uh, Michigan State at, at Michigan. Maybe we'll we'll f- see if Michigan's for real, and they will arrive in the top ten. But uh, these undefeated teams up top, none of them have really inspired 
Chris, if you had to choose, though, who's your number one team? Well, call me a homer, call me biased. This is an easy pick, but it's Ohio State. You got to say them. I mean, they started the year number one. They have not looked impressive, but they don't have to look impressive, as I've said repeatedly on this podcast. All they have to do is win, and that's all they've done. They're 6-0. and They have not lost since week two of 2014. That is a 19-game winning streak. And I've said repeatedly, if they are undefeated, there is no system that will shut them out of a four-team playoff. I don't even think they'd be shut out of a two-team playoff. You know, you've got the defending champions thing going for you. I am a firm believer that you are the champ, you're the best, until someone knocks you off. And I understand they have not played a very tough schedule, but that's part of the advantage of being the champions, that you get the benefit of the doubt. They certainly haven't been impressive. They might not be the best team, but you're talking about who's the number one team, who I would vote number one. And until I see Ohio State lose, or until somebody else does something impressive to take it from them, like Michigan State had a chance to, struggled against Purdue. I mentioned Alabama and Mississippi. Those two teams certainly would have been number one because Ohio State had struggled those weeks when they were playing big games. Had they won, they would have been number one. But they didn't. They didn't step up. No one else has stepped up and looked impressive. So absent of that, you have to give the team that hasn't lost in 19 tries the number one ranking until proven otherwise. Yeah, it's, it's hard to argue with that logic, especially, like you said, the teams that were poised to make a big step forward, you know, fell short at, at the goal line, where, whereas Ohio State still won their game. And uh, it's hard to to punish a team too much for almost losing games when you're undefeated and you have a national championship that you're defending. I mean, you are the default number one team unless another team is head and shoulders impressive above that team so that hasn't happened yet I think it has the potential to happen especially if Ohio State continues to play in their half focused way that they have in 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 this first half of the season there will be an impact game where one of these top 10 teams finally wins and will dethrone Ohio State just from the number one ranking not from the playoffs but no, until not. until that happens, I think it's it's very smart to go with Ohio State. But um, just ahead. one more thing, I do want to make a point. I agree with you. If Ohio State keeps struggling, I mean, now those games against the Michigan teams are against the number seven and number twelve team in the nation. That's going to change because they both play. And this weekend, LSU, Florida, that's a pretty big game. So there, there are there, they're certainly right. There are going to be a lot of chances for, and of course, Baylor, TCU will play at some point as two and three. So a lot of teams are going to have a chance to take the number one ranking. And I don't necessarily think that means as much when four teams make it because if Ohio State goes 13-0, their seeding is not going to matter. They'll be in the playoff. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but for the sake of argument, I'm just looking through these top 10 teams and, and who I think has impressed me the most with their schedule in this season. And I think I have to go with the Clemson Tigers and – they had the past three weeks they've played at Louisville. Well, that was four weeks ago. They had a bye, uh, but they played at Louisville, won that game, won against Notre Dame and Georgia Tech. Uh, the Notre Dame game win was not pretty, but that was against a top 10 opponent. Georgia Tech has kind of fallen off the map, but they were thought very highly of to start the season. Uh, they have a relatively modest schedule going forward, so I think it's a pick that I can make with some confidence that they 
could uh, win out, especially their next big game is Florida State still at home, though, in Death Valley. So that gives them a little bit of an advantage. I just think that uh, compared to the teams around them, they have actually played some big games and have won them all. Uh, it, not entirely impressively, but they, they've won them all and they haven't struggled against these smaller against any kind of gimme game that they've had. So, you know, Baylor, I understand the number two ranking. They really have not played anybody. TCU has had two really close scares of losing. Utah, I just need to see a little bit more. The The Michigan win looks better and better, but uh, the rest of their opponents, I mean, Oregon, that win looks even worse going forward now. Um, they did just so, beat Cal this weekend, though. Yeah, but, I mean, who has Cal played? They were number 23. They were undefeated. They just played Utah. I mean, I, look, I, I'm I'm going to give them credit for beating Cal until Cal, if Cal loses more games, then obviously that game will lose, look worse. But they're 5-1 right now, so I'll give them credit for that. And Michigan's looked great since that Utah game, and they look great. In, they only lost to Utah on the road by seven points. I think Michigan's turning to be one of the best quality wins among all these teams in the top 10. The only one who might have a better one is Florida over Mississippi. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, Clemson's win is over Notre Dame, number fourteen team. So, and with Notre yeah. Dame's schedule, they'll if they win out, they'll climb back in the top ten. So that looks good as well. Uh, I, I agree with you. I mean, Michigan State. If Michigan beats Michigan State, I'm all in on Michigan. I was ready. I was tempted to argue for Michigan to be the number one team. I just need to see one more game, and you know, the shutout against Northwestern, the shutout streak that they have going. Uh, the way they dominated uh, Oregon State defensively as well, only giving up that that seven points against them, it's certainly impressive. And then almost losing Utah on the road, uh, give them credit for that game as well. It, it's all impressive. I just I just need to see more, just because of where Michigan has been the past couple years, for them to to rise so quickly after five six games. Uh, I just want to see one more game, and thankfully they're going to play Michigan State, and that'll answer all my questions about them. Well, they also beat BYU too. So those are of the five straight wins. That's a pretty meaty schedule to have a five-game winning streak on. You've beat they destroyed Northwestern, who was number thirteen, and beat Stanford. So kind of was announcing itself as a true team. They destroyed them. BYU had a very tough schedule in its first four games, and I know BYU won some close calls, but Michigan still beat them. Good team. And they, their only loss is a seven-point loss road game when you're breaking in a brand-new head coach in a new system on the road. So I, I think if, of all the losses out there, that's probably one of the better ones to have. And Michigan, I think, is for real. But you're right. This is going to be easily their biggest test yet against Michigan State, a number seven team, a team who was just number two a couple weeks ago and arguably – in the mix, it, it, it's coming down to Ohio State, Michigan State, and Michigan for that uh, Big Ten East Division title, and this is the first of those three series of games that will probably decide who represents the East portion of the Big Ten title game. Yeah, definitely. I think Michigan is smelling blood with Michigan State. Uh, 24-21 win over Purdue, 31-24 win over Rutgers. Uh, and now they have to travel to Michigan to play that game for Michigan State. I think Michigan is – I think that they are ready to to beat Michigan State. I think Michigan State uh, might not be the team we thought they were, especially with 
the way Oregon has kind of fell off. Um, we'll see. We'll we'll see. And that's probably that has to be the game of the week. I think one of. I mean, you got LSU Florida in there too. We got got a couple of good games this week, but yeah, certainly I think Michigan Michigan State is going to be a good game. And I agree with you. Michigan smells blood for both their rivals, not just Michigan State, but Ohio State. I mean, both of those teams have to go to Ann Arbor to play. So Michigan has a very good opportunity, strong opportunity, to maybe get to the Big Ten title game in his first year under Harbaugh, win the Big Ten. I mean, the only thing that's going to work against Michigan is that Utah beat them. So Utah is always going to have that over them if Utah is an undefeated or one-loss team. So... Well, I think there's play, there's room for both of them in the playoff if they win out the rest of their schedules. Possibly. It just depends on what else happened. But I agree. I think if Michigan wins out, you know, you mentioned all these SEC teams are going to beat each other up. So I think only one will merge there. The two Big 12 teams play each other. The one question is, would a one-loss Michigan team get in over a Florida State Clemson winner if that winner is undefeated? Would Michigan's one loss keep them out if Utah... TCU slash Baylor, and then Clemson, Florida State, and the SEC champion are all either undefeated or have one loss. That, I don't know. It just depends on what else happens throughout the season. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I think we're going to have a playoff that probably only features one undefeated team, if that. Yeah, I think two at the most. Two at the absolute most. I, I don't see... I, I think a lot of these teams are going to lose because... Look, you just count it up. I mean, Texas A&M is going to play LSU. They're in the same division. LSU plays Florida. That's three undefeated teams playing each other right there. Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, all round robin with one each other, with one another. Clemson plays Florida State. TCU plays Baylor. This picture is going to get a lot clearer by the end of November. There's only going to be maybe five teams standing when the chaos is settled. And Alabama could snake right back into there too because they're number 10, even though they have one loss. If they get on an Alabama rampage and win that division, they could be there too. So it's going to get a little chaotic, but it's going to get a lot more fun in the next half of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Is there a team in that top 11 starting at Florida State? Uh, so 10 undefeated teams, Alabama's ranked number 10. Uh, is there a team in there that you think is a, is a pretender that is certainly going to fall off the map in the second half? Right now, I am not sold on Baylor. You hinted to uh, to their schedule earlier. And while it is impressive that they're averaging 64 points a game, when you're doing it against SMU, Lamar, Rice, Texas Tech, and Kansas, loses a little bit of its luster. They have played absolutely nobody. West Virginia is going to be their first real test and that's not even that big of a test though i do think west virginia is a little underrated they're nothing really to brag about they did play oklahoma pretty tough so i wouldn't just sleep on that but it is in baylor iowa state after that kansas state after that the meat of their schedule is their last four games oklahoma oklahoma state tcu and texas so when they finally get to that part of the schedule we'll see what they're really made of but for right now i don't think they're the number two team in the country no um just like ohio state's number one team by default i think baylor's number one number two team by default tcu with their struggles against texas tech and kansas state uh they got punished by losing a spot i guess look at those november games at kansas state at oklahoma state and at tcu that's where we're going to find out about baylor november to talk about them as a legitimate team uh, mid-October, uh, there's nothing to really base it off of. Wait until November when they play those those final five teams. Kansas State loves playing the spoiler, especially if you play them at home. 
That's going to be a Thursday night game at Kansas State. Uh, they always have one big game in them. They almost beat Auburn last year. They almost beat TCU last week. So that's a game I'm circling, and I totally agree with you. Baylor looks like a pretender to me. I'm not sold on LSU. Uh, they have a good win against Mississippi State in Week 2. Mississippi State isn't ranked now, but they're one of those teams that kind of gets into the top 25, and then they fall out, and then a couple weeks later they'll be no- ranked number 25 again. So they're they're a good team. But then the Leonard Fournette train started, and all, all this hype started. But here's their opposition, Auburn, Syracuse, Eastern Michigan, and South Carolina. Auburn and South Carolina are probably the two weakest defenses in the SEC. South Carolina probably one of the bottom teams in all the SEC. So who has LSU really played so far? Nobody really. And thankfully, like we said, they're playing Florida this week. We're going to see who of those two teams is for real because you could easily make the argument that Florida is a pretender as well at this point. Despite that win against Ole Miss, that's, that is a good win. Um, yeah, so we're going to see. Think, oh, I'm sorry. I think Florida at least has a very legitimate win over Ole Miss. So I think that that legitimizes them a little bit more than some of the other teams. But I agree with you with LSU. And I think part of the problem is, part of the reason they're rated so high is they destroyed Auburn when people still thought Auburn was a good team. And I think when that happens, people don't go back and sort of recorrect and say, okay, well, that Auburn win doesn't look as good anymore. Maybe they're not the number seven team in the nation. You know, it's hard to buck. Once a team has made a leap, it's hard to mitigate that leap if it keeps winning. And so for right or for wrong, you know, I think LSU is is certainly benefited from the fact that Auburn was considered a quality team when it beat it 45 to 21. It struggled to beat, I mean, it beat Mississippi State 21-19. It was on the road in Mississippi State. I'm not saying that wasn't a good win, but it still struggled against its toughest opponent on its schedule. So, Certainly a lot to prove for LSU. This weekend, we're going to learn something about LSU or Florida because that is going to be one of the biggest games on the slate. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, LSU started off the season ranked in the top 15, so for them to be number six right now because they're undefeated, it's not a a big leap, but I'm just saying. Yeah, it's not like a reach or anything, but I I certainly agree with you. They, They do have some things to prove. Yeah, absolutely. But hey, two weeks after Florida, they get Alabama. So next three weeks, we're going to know exactly what LSU is made of. Yeah, they get Florida at home and then at Alabama. So that, that'll be the big game. They also have to go to Mississippi late in the season as well. So, I mean, SEC teams, just wait and see. You know, they, they, they get plenty of chances to prove their worth. And oftentimes it's a bloodbath. So, what do you think of Texas AM? That's a team we kind of haven't mentioned much. They are also undefeated, maybe a little bit of a surprise undefeated. What do you think? I mean, they also have to go through that SEC West, so they're going to have to play LSU, Alabama, all those teams at some point. Uh, what do you think of them? Well, it helped that they beat Arizona State week one when Arizona State was a top 20 team. So like we just said with LSU uh, beating Auburn early in the season, they beat Arizona State, which is a good win, a good out-of-conference win for them. Wins at Arkansas and Mississippi State aren't entirely impressive in the SEC West. They're going to get the meat and potatoes of their schedule uh, this week, actually, a matchup against Alabama, then at Ole Miss. So we're going to see about them if they're for real real quick. I, I'm not sold on them just because they they seem to have benefited from playing in the West and being better than the, the bottom teams in the West, mostly Arkansas and Mississippi State. Uh, 
obviously MSU had a good year last year, but they seem to benefit from playing in a prestigious conference and they kind of let you down late in the season when they do face up against Alabama or if Auburn was in season, if they face up against them. So I'm not sold until they, well, until this week. And if they beat Alabama, then I'll be sold on them. But as of right now, I, I, I'm not too sold on them. They're just a benefit of the schedule as of right now. Yeah, I'm bringing up the schedule this week because it's looking like a pretty meaty slate. We start off Thursday, UCLA, Stanford. Again, there's two teams still vying for Pac-12 title. Big game because they both lost, so definitely one to watch. Going to Saturday, though, and man, I mean, there's just a lot of meat on this schedule. Iowa at Northwestern could decide the Big Ten West. You've got... I mean, Louisville at Florida State could be a sleeper game. Louisville is a pesky team in the ACC. Uh, Virginia Tech at Miami, classic rivalry. I'm not saying it's a significant top 25 team. It's just a classic rivalry. Alabama, Texas A&M, two top 10 teams. Michigan State, Michigan, two top 12 teams. And vying for the Big Ten East. Florida at LSU. There's a lot on the schedule. And, of course, the rivalry between USC and Notre Dame should be a fun one as well. Uh, this weekend is, is the first weekend of college football that I'm actually pretty legitimately excited for, and I may have to kind of veg out on Saturday and watch all of it. Yeah, that definitely sounds like a good strategy for this weekend. We said the past two weekends that we weren't expecting much out of college football, and it has delivered more than we were expecting. So I wonder if this is going to be if it's going to be able to top that, I mean, just by the nature of the matchups, somebody's going to lose. So that's good. But you know, we've seen our fair share of exciting games the past two weeks when we weren't really expecting it. I think it will deliver. There's six more weeks. It might have delivered this weekend. You never really know what weekend it's going to deliver, but I think they're with all these teams undefeated, knowing they have a shot at it. There's the desperation factor, the motivation factor, and that, I think that produces a lot of high-quality matchups. So I think that we are going to see some very intense games down the stretch here. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if one of the ones I just mentioned wasn't sort of the dubbed instant classic like we had. Right now, the one I can think of is Notre Dame-Clemson because I think for me that's been the most entertaining game I was able to watch this year. Yeah, I think I have to agree with that. Um, you can make a strong argument for Ole Miss-Alabama, but uh, Notre Dame-Clemson was, for me, the most fun to watch as well. And these matchups are staggered pretty nicely, too. you got the appetizer with Iowa and Northwestern. Then you've got a bit of a midday course with Alabama and Texas A&M. Then the prime time they throw a lot at you with the Florida LSU game. I, of course, will watch the Buckeyes, but Notre Dame-USC rivalry. And then the one other game, Michigan State. Actually, Michigan State-Michigan is also in the afternoon, so that's part of the afternoon course. So. It's a nice little three-course meal of football to <laughs> take in on Saturday. Clear your schedules now. Oh, it's cleared. We're good. <laughs> you know me. I, I'm good. not doing anything. So. <laughs> I, I'm double-checking the, the, the channels here, too. I get, what, I'm get i getting Ohio State on ABC, Notre Dame on NBC, Florida LSU on ESPN. The Florida LSU game starts at 7, Ohio State at 8, so that way I can watch one if it's an intense finish, then another maybe. Well, hopefully Ohio State's not an intense finish, but uh, – yeah, it's going to be a fun weekend. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we talked about this last week, going from American football to actual football. 
You know I'm talking about soccer, sport where they actually use their feet to kick the ball. Unlike in football, I don't still don't get that one. But anyway, talked about last week, very big game for Team USA, very intense match turned out to be against Mexico. Unfortunately, our rivals from the South came into LA and walked out with a 3-2 victory, I believe in extra time. I was unable to watch the game because I was at the Chicago Blackhawks game on Saturday, but Bob, I know you did. Uh, what were your thoughts of the match, and was it as intense as everyone I've talked to has told me it is? It was. Yeah, it, it absolutely was. I mean, Mexican started off, or Mexico started off uh, scoring in the first ten minutes, I think, and when that happened, you just got the sense that, like, oh man, this is not this is not the start you wanted from the American squad, but. For the Americans to equalize just five minutes later with a with a great set play played in by uh, Michael Bradley into the box and then a header to to, to tie it, um, you know that was a great a great sequence for the Americans and I thought like that might be the breakthrough for them and then it was just high tensions for for the uh, the rest of the match. Um, you got the sense though watching it, especially in the second half, that the Mexicans. It shouldn't have gone into extra time. The Mexicans had chance after chance. The ball stayed uh, near the American defense for pretty much the whole second half. Uh, the Mexicans had control of the ball the whole time and were just toying with the Americans, but they weren't able to to capitalize on their chances. So it went into extra time. The Mexicans again came out, scored a goal relatively quickly. And then for the Americans to equalize yet again in extra time was amazing the fact that it was 2-2 after all the ball possession Mexico had throughout that whole game was amazing uh there (laughs) it was really amazing and then that final goal uh just two minutes before uh we were gonna head into penalty play uh if you haven't seen that goal go check it out it's ridiculous the the Mexican lobbed the ball over his head right outside the box and then another striker came in from the wing and just hit it uh, as it was falling to his foot straight into the back of the net, it was pretty ridiculous. And for that to be the final goal definitely leaves a bad taste in your mouth, but this was not, um, this is not a disappointing win. I mean, it's definitely disappointing to be that close and to, uh, not get it, not, not get the, uh, the invitation to the Confederations cup, but for the Americans to play the way they did, for them to rally twice and, and and play the Mexicans very well, I think it was a it was a good showing. Uh, definitely hard to swallow though. Well, anytime you lose to your rival, your regional rival, it's hard to swallow, especially when it's an intense game like that. But at the end of the day, I mean, look, I understand the Confederations Cup is important. I understand the Gold Cup is important. They're fun to watch. They are exhibitions. The World Cup is the big prize, and I think that developing your team, oftentimes you're not you're not going to win every match against high-quality competition like Mexico, like some of these other big, strong you know countries that have strong soccer traditions. So for the U.S., I think it's all about just showing progress and improvement, and you know you, you want to beat Mexico, you want to be the best in the region, but you know, it's not always going to happen. And I don't think Klinsman should be – I don't even think there should be talk of him being fired right now. I mean, it's been too short. He's had one World Cup. You hired this guy for a long-term rebuilding or building process. 
this is not, you don't want to have a knee-jerk reaction like Landon Donovan suggested last week. I certainly think there's room for improvement on this USA squad. They probably have a little bit of work to do between now and the World Cup. But to not give Jurgen Klinsmann a second World Cup, I think, would be a huge mistake. And I don't even think it should even be a conversation that his job was on the line after this match or something like that. No, I don't definitely don't think so either. Um, you know, just from that CONCACAF loss to Jamaica, they went on to lose the consolation game to Panama in penalties. They, then they won the international friendly against Peru. They lost ugly to Brazil one to four, and now they've lost to Mexico. So, past five matches, they're they're one in four, and tomorrow they're going to play Costa Rica in a friendly, who uh, is a really good CONCACAF team as well. So, hopefully they'll rally and have a good showing against Costa Rica and get back on track. But it's pretty knee jerk to fire Klinsman when uh, the realistic expectations for the United States team have to be tempered Uh, to expect that the Americans are going to dominate CONCACAF, uh, especially the upper tier, the competition or to go into the 2018 world cup as a, favorite to really do anything is foolish and I think that you just need to give Klinsman time let him do what he wants to do with this program and get it to a place and then you worry about the match-by-match results because I don't think Klinsman uh, is the best football coach when it comes time to play the game I don't think he's a brilliant mind but he's definitely a program builder much like you have those guys in college football that are great at recruiting, great at running a program, not really good at calling plays, but they get paid big bucks because they bring in the talent and they bring in the mindset where they're just so good they're going to win. And look at what Klinsmann did in Germany. He never won a World Cup title. Who won the World Cup title? His successor, his protege, uh, Yogi, who succeeded from him and then just a few years later wins the World Cup. So Klinsman is a program builder. He might not be the best coach. He's probably really infuriating to some United States fans who want faster, better results. But uh, we got to stick with him and at least ride him into another World Cup. Yeah, I think that the time to evaluate him would be after the next World Cup. I think it's a realistic expectation to get out of group play for the U.S. I think that's a realistic expectation. I think that's something they can do every year. Um, to expect them to have a deep run to the knockout tournament, I, I just think that that's a little too high because the U.S. program is not there yet. And I think, but I agree with you. I think they've got a coach who can build it to that goal. Maybe not for 2018, but maybe in the 2022. I mean, we're talking about a long-term process here. This is what you're going to have to give him. You're going to have to give him a lot of latitude. You're going to have to give him a lot of years because of the nature of international soccer, and you're going to have to be very patient with this process and firing him now. I mean, Jürgen Klinsmann, you, you just mentioned, I mean, he helped build up that Germany program. Where are you going to, who are you going to get better than that? I mean, really who, who is on the market that they can get that's better than that? I don't know. I would be hard pressed to find someone better than him willing to come coach in America. And you've got a pretty good coach right now. You've got a guy who can, build up your program, give them a chance to do it at least one more World Cup and and probably two if you really want to get to that sort of end goal of being a consistent contender and not just a consistent group stage contender. You're going to have to give this guy 
the latitude he needs to build up a program. Yeah, and to I think it's a little unfair to put all the blame on to him. Um, I think a lot of it goes to just kind of the the development that we have right now. Uh, if you look at the makeup of the 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 best United States men's team roster right now, it's made up a lot of thirty year olds and guys heading to the end of their career. We are there's a gap between this current roster makeup and the next wave of talent. We're missing the guys that are in their prime right now. We don't have a lot of uh, late twenties stars on the United States team. We have a lot of guys in the U23, U8 team who are playing overseas in Europe, who are doing really good things in Europe and who are just a few years away from coming up and from making an impact on the United States roster. So he's doing the best he can with, what he has which is just uh good to mediocre talent at this point and you know it's sad to say that but compared to any other team they're just missing some of the stars i mean if you watch the mexican game uh the mexican team has a ton of guys that could handle the ball and just make some ridiculous shots and passes and were crazy fast as well and i don't think the americans really had anybody that could keep up with them uh, defensively, nor could they have an attack, a player on the attack who can match their skills. So there is still a talent deficiency with this team that needs to be addressed, and Klinsman can, is only can only be blamed so much for that. Yeah, right now I think that's a fair assessment, but I think the time for his evaluation will come, as you mentioned, when these U23 kids start to get time on the national stage, and then we start to see how they develop. If he can develop them in the stars, that's going to be a home run. If he can't, I think that's when the evaluation will come. But right now, I, I don't think it's fair to say his job was on the line for this match. And I think that most of that was just Landon Donovan. But there are people out there who have sort of insinuated it. I, I just think that that's a knee-jerk reaction. Yeah, I mean, I'm never going to take Landon Donovan, Donovan seriously when he's talking about Jurgen Klinsmann. He's me, been me openly uh, very bitter about what he did to him. Uh, but, I mean, it's, it's not just him. Like, I, I've seen it from fans. I've seen it from other guys that write about soccer. They're calling for his head. And uh, I think if you're going to fire Klinsmann, you should uh, fire a lot of the guys that are at the top of that USM, the United States Soccer Federation. If you're going to if you're gonna think it's time to change, uh, you can just fire the president and and make some other changes as well because it's not just Klinsman that is giving you this product that you see right now it's other people are involved with it and if they're not growing at the rate that you like uh it's it's more than just the coach yeah and I just don't think that that would be a good decision for the long-term viability of the program you just have to let it grow you have to you have to let this talent develop you have to let Klinsman put his fingerprints on it give him time Yes, definitely. So if you're in for uh, soccer, there's a match on ESPN tomorrow, USA, Costa Rica. Look for them to rebound and and kind of recover their ground. But uh, we are moving on. There's a lot more to talk about. Chris, have you any chance to watch uh, MLB playoffs? Sadly, not as much as I'd like. Again, I mentioned I've been on the road the last weekend. I caught a little bit here and there. I've been following it. I did get to watch the two wild card games and and some of, and a lot of the game ones. And those wild card games kind of played out the exact same way. One team hits a couple early home runs and then rides their really awesome, probably maybe Cy Young award pitcher 
to a victory. Kind of like what we said in our preview podcast. I believe I got both of them right. Yes, you absolutely did. And I mean, that seems to be the uh, method for success when winning a wild card. I I feel like that happens every year. A team comes out early and then there's just too much pressure on the other team to answer and too good a pitcher on the mound for them to to really mount a comeback. So those were two really good games. Uh, Cubs-Pirates didn't really deliver the way I thought it would. Uh, but Jake Arrieta is awesome. And if he continues to pitch like that, uh, the Cardinals could be in trouble. So that's something to look forward to. He's going to take the mound tonight or tomorrow. The next time. The- no, it, it's going to be tonight. He's, it's going to be Michael Waka versus Jake Arrieta. So yeah, that's a big game. Yes. Yeah, it's one, one definitely. And then uh, the other NL matchup, the Mets, the Mets seem to have had the Dodgers on the ropes and were, were poised to go up 2-0, I think. And then that Chase Utley slide happened. Did you have a chance to catch that? I did not see the slide. I heard it was very controversial. Yeah, it doesn't. I, it does he's not he's been good. suspended, too. Yeah, two games, a, right? Two games pending an appeal. So I think that means he's going to be able to play it out until it happens. Um, I'm not sure if that changes during playoff play. But, uh, yeah, that slide definitely questionable very questionable and it's hard to not argue that there is some malicious intent especially given that there's history between these two players chase utley did the same exact thing to ruben tejada two years ago when he was playing with the phillies took him out on a really nasty slide so uh mets fans understandably upset and i think we have our first 2015 mlb villain and chase utley unfortunately for mets fans he's not that good so he might not even play yeah, he's not what he once was, to say the least. Um, but that certainly is going to add a little spice to that series. I wonder if there will be some retaliation on behalf of the Mets because we all know that when things like this happen in baseball, sometimes the pitchers uh, throw at people. And that will certainly be an element to the last uh, two, maybe three games of this series. But again, that's another series tied 1-1, pivotal game three tonight. And... It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Matt Harvey on the mound for New York, Brett Anderson for the Dodgers. So the Mets don't get to face one of their two overwhelming pitchers. They have one of their aces on the mound. So again, a very nip tuck series. Uh, but I think you and I are in agreement when we are going to get to this other series that the Texas Rangers being up two nothing and now two one over Toronto has got to be the surprise of the postseason. Absolutely, and they were poised to sweep. Uh, if it wasn't for Troy Tulowitzki in the last moments of that game, uh, Rangers could very well ha- uh, be done with this series. But um, the Achilles heel of the Blue Jays is if David Price does not deliver, uh, you can hit this team to to no end. I mean, there's not really a good... I would not want any of those pitchers behind David Price pitching in the postseason. And, uh, you know, the the Rangers were able to beat David Price in game one, and now they're going to get, uh, I think, R.A. Dickey tonight. So this is their chance. Yeah. If they it's Dickey versus Holland. Holland's a pretty good pitcher for Texas, so certainly a chance to take him out. I think it's, it's very important. I, I don't think home field is as big in baseball but I do think that when you have a 2-0 lead, 
you don't want to get to game five because then the momentum really swings. The team that was down 0-2 feels very confident. Yeah, definitely. I think if this, if the Rangers are going to do this, they, they need to do it today because I would not want to have to face David Price, even though he's been a little shaky in the postseason. I would not want to face him with the with my back against the wall because if he brings it, uh, there's there's little helping you in in that. So yeah, if the Rangers want it, they they better close it out tonight and then just finishing up the series. Uh, Astros at Royals playing out the way that we thought it would. Yeah, Astros have a two one lead. Lance McCullers on the mound tonight. Uh, they did not. Uh, you know the Royals have. You know, exhibited the problems that we mentioned in our, you know, preseason or excuse me, our postseason preview podcast. McCullough is a very good young pitcher. I think he has a bright future ahead of him. And if they don't get by him, I believe it'll be Colin McHugh on the mound for game five, adding Dallas Keuchel. And man, that is one heck of a rotation if they make it to the ALCS. We could have an all Texas ALCS, Bob. I mean, we're one game away. It could happen today. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty amazing. Considered neither of those teams were really on the radar for. I mean, I know Houston. Some people picked them. You picked them to make the postseason. But the Rangers. I mean, they were on nobody's radar for making the postseason, and for them to knock I out. Think, go ahead. I think the consensus pick was they were third and fourth ahead of Oakland. I think Oakland was the only team that they would have been picked behind them. I think most people had the Mariners and the Angels preseason, and. Yeah, it's kind of remarkable that those two teams, if they pull this off, would be in the ALCS. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Royals just don't—they—they they just don't seem to have that thing that they had last year, that the magic. And I think if the two teams that do are the Rangers and the Astros, just kind of defying uh, expectations. So we will have to see i mean these are two pretty big swing games they could even up the series on both sides and head into a game five or they could both end today so i i think i like a five game series better than a seven game series to be honest i love five game series i hope baseball does not expand this at all in fact i think baseball's postseason is perfect i like the wild card game being one game Okay, I'd compromise if it's a best of three series, but all three games are at the home team, like the higher seed, like a normal regular season series, so there's no travel or anything. I'd compromise for that. But I love the five, and then I love two sevens. It's a quick, intense, and best of five, every game is intense. You don't want to go down 2-0. You don't even really want to go down 1-0. I mean, every game is really intense, and I think, I've said this before, Basketball and hockey can learn so much from this. I would argue that their first two rounds in basketball and hockey should be best of five. It's not going to happen, but please, baseball, don't change this format. It's perfect the way it is. I love it. Yeah, no, I I, I love it as well. I I agree with you. I think basketball and hockey. I mean, it it's right to call it the second season because they just last way too long. And that's just not how that's not how it's played out in the regular season. So it seems strange to me, but I think baseball has a really good thing going on. The more tension baseball can bring to their games, the better, because you know, the arguments always that baseball's boring. Uh, I think postseason baseball is anything but boring though. No postseason baseball is fantastic. I, I love it. 
and I love that it kicks off with such an intense matchup. Like you got you got two teams winning 97 or more games, meaning in a one game do or die situation. That's fun to me, and I like the fact that they had to play that game because they didn't win their division. It puts an importance on the division titles. I like it. I like the format. I think it's fun. Yeah, do uh, were the Pirates tough luck losers? Yes, but at the same time, win the game if you want to cry about it. Like I love I love the format. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think the baseball playoffs are right there with the NFL. I think those are my easily my two favorites because of the constant intensity each have with every round. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, speaking of the NFL, though, a lot of good games this weekend. Bob, we don't have a lot of time left, but what's sort of what was your takeaway from Week Five in the NFL? Um, I think my biggest takeaway is uh, the NFC East is a a huge mess right now. Uh, you got three two and three teams: Cowboys, Redskins, Eagles. Cowboys are just praying that Des Bryant and Tommy Romo are magically healed tomorrow because without those two guys there's no semblance of an offense uh the redskins are surprisingly competitive in most of the games that they play i'm I'm impressed with how they held up against the falcons and they've done this a couple other times realistically they could have beaten the falcons almost should have beaten the falcons matty ice showed to be matty ice again but washington played them fantastic yeah and for for it to end on a pick six i mean that's the game right there that that's yeah the Redskins have surprised me I thought they were going to be the worst team in the NFL uh there are a couple teams that are now competing for that and then the Eagles got rolling against what is one of the worst defenses in the NFL the Saints so who knows what they're going to be next week but the crown jewel of them all the New York Giants I thought they were going to blow out the Niners just because Eli Manning and the passing attack looked bread and butter for the Niners but it's the New York Giants. They never fail to disappoint you. They never disappoint in disappointing you. And for them to let <laughs> the Niners just hang around all game, to let the Niners go up in the end, and then for Eli Manning to throw a, a ridiculous pass to Larry Donnell in the end zone with 21 seconds left to go up 30-27 to 27 and ultimately win the game, that was crazy. And now the Giants are in the driver's seat for the NFC East and if they did not have such a stupid coaching decision in week one they would be four and one right now with a commanding lead in the NFC East but as of right now it's still theirs to lose which is mind-boggling to me it's been four years Bob <laughs> seven 11 15 and don't look now but the Patriots are really good in the AFC well they're always they always have been under Brady but I'm just saying could be round three. Could be the ultimate revenge game. And they have, you know, the Giants do have the best bad pass catcher in Odell Beckham. So, hey, ready for one <laughs> signature play. <laughs> well, first off, I mean, it's been the last three Super Bowls the Patriots have had a ridiculous catch go against them. Now, the Seattle one, they pulled that out, you know, pulled right. that out with the amazing defensive play. But there was almost three straight Super Bowl losses on an insane catch. So still very far away, but I'm just saying it's been four years and the Giants train. It takes it takes a few years to get rolling, but once it gets up steam, it plows through. 
Yeah. But my takeaway, though, is a team that I have historically been pretty critical of, pretty hard on, a quarterback that I have not been impressed with over the last four years, and that's the Cincinnati Bengals and Andy Dalton. And, you know, for the last four years, the Bengals, every year I say they're good enough to get there, not good enough to win because they're just a middling team, and Andy Dalton is not in that at least second tier of quarterbacks. To me, you either have to be in the number one or number two tier to win a Super Bowl, you know, with that kind of a quarterback leading the way. Well, this week, Andy Dalton went a long way, and the Cincinnati Bengals went a long way to proving that they're more than just a good enough to get their team, and he's more than just a good enough to get their quarterback by being down 24-14 to with about six minutes left in the fourth quarter and orchestrating what the drive against a great pass defense, even though they were at home, a great two drives to not only tie the game, but then win the game in overtime. And that's the stuff that takes you from a good enough to get their team sort of quote unquote game manager quarterback to, okay, this is legit. Now they're five and oh, they have a really good team, a lot of weapons and Andy Dalton has taken in five games has taken a major step forward. Now, whether or not he's firmly in tier two remains to be seen. I, I do think that they would have to win a playoff game to ultimately solidify that kind of a step forward. But there is no doubt in my mind that the Bengals are not the Bengals of the last four years, just first round fodder. That this team looks like it can it can do some damage in the playoffs and maybe advance a round or two, depending on whether or not they have the bye. But I think that for the Bengals, they have got to win a playoff game this year to sort of solidify all this work that they've done so far. But you have to be thrilled if you're a Cincinnati fan. You've got the two-time NFC champions, almost two-time Super Bowl champions, at home, down 10, six minutes left, and your quarterback shows the kind of stuff that's needed for an elite quarterback to be an elite quarterback. And Andy Dalton has certainly impressed me this year, and the Cincinnati Bengals deserve a lot of credit, not just for being 5-0, and but for the way they did it against Seattle. That's the kind of game that these Bengals teams the last four years have lost and lost badly. They didn't. They were down, and they came back. Huge win. Yeah, I definitely think it's it's a landmark win for Cincinnati and Andy Dalton in particular. I'm looking for Cincinnati to sustain the success because this is a team that has had all the pieces for the last three years, really. And there have been times where they look awful. And right now they are operating at peak efficiency. Andy Dalton is playing better than we've ever seen them. What happens if AJ Green gets hurt a little bit or a couple of those wideouts get a little dinged up? Is Andy Dalton going to be able to still carry these this team to wins and that's what a good a great quarterback does a playoff super bowl aspiring team quarterback does if when the playmakers are hurt dalton is still going to make plays and that's what i want to look forward to going forward uh but as of right now the bengals have to be considered one of the best teams in the nfl the way they're playing if they keep this up gonna be really hard to beat on the flip side though Seattle has a lot of issues going on. Uh, the the 
particularly in the defense, Cam Chancellor, two weeks in a row now, has not been exhibiting the reason why he was holding out, as in like he was one of the best safeties in the game. Tyler Eifert burned him for two touchdowns and 90 yards. Last year, that would never have happened. The holdout continues to rear its ugly head and is definitely hurting that Legion of Boom defense. Seattle needs to to adjust some things and get their act together because they are disappointing. And with Arizona, you know, beating up opponents and and taking advantage of of, of a lot of games, the Seahawks have an upward battle to to even make a wild card. Yeah, as far as Seattle goes, it is no longer a question of whether or not they'll have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. They'll be lucky to just get a home game in the playoffs if they win that division. They've dug themselves into a hole. They started off slow last year, but I don't think they were in this far of a hole last year. They still had that key head-to-head over Green Bay, even though they started off slow. 2-3 and three is not a good place to be when you're in a division with a 4-1 and one team and you're looking up at the Packers at 5-0, and oh, big picture to get to the Super Bowl. I do think they're good enough to get a wild card, but you're right, there are a lot of problems. And you mentioned Tyler Eifert. He has emerged as a strong number two playmaker in that Cincinnati arsenal alongside A.J. Green. That's a pretty good combination, and that's certainly helping out Andy Dalton take those steps forward. Um, I would say I think nothing has changed. I would still keep them behind the Patriots as far as the best team in the AFC, only because the Patriots have proven that they can do this over and over and over again, and I do think Tom Brady is better than Andy Dalton, but the Bengals are closing the gap as far as this year goes. I certainly would not want to see them in the postseason with the way that they're playing through the first five games. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, just some quick takeaways from the week. Uh, Jamal Charles, ACL tear. I don't think the That's Chiefs are going to do much without him. Uh, terrible, terrible yeah. news. You hate to see it. Yeah, uh, I think you can... I'm going to rule them out of the playoff picture in the AFC. They're one and four without their best playmaker, their best player on offense. Uh, it's going to be hard for them. Uh, go ahead. And that defense just let Jay Cutler march down and steal a win from them essentially. So yeah, yeah, they got some problems. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the top of that division, the Broncos, probably the ugliest five and O team I've seen in a long time. Uh, they did, It took a lot of grit to beat the Raiders and, uh, uh, Chris Anderson interception return for a touchdown to to give them enough points to to beat the Raiders. So they the defense continues to impress and they continue to just grit it out. You have to respect it, but it's not what you come to expect from a Peyton Manning team. No, certainly not. And Demarco's where Demarco where injured his back in that game, <laughs> and that is a key problem if that injury lingers or is long term yeah. because. He is a big part of that defense on the line. I think they added him from Dallas last year, struggled with some injuries, and I think Von Miller got dinged up in that game as well. So their defense took some hits. Demarcus Uh, Demarcus Ware, the injury is uh, not as bad as I thought, just back spasms, I say. uh, Well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, he's an absolute terror this year, has been uh, causing quarterbacks a ton of grief. Um, If... He needs to be 100%, though. He's at that age where he can't really play with dings or injuries. So hopefully he'll be back to health for them. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I might have been wrong about Bob Miller. He may have just come out for a play or something. But but if that defense sustains significant injuries, it's it could be problematic for Denver because you're right, they're 5-0. and 
but they're not winning on their points forward. Would you believe that the Bengals have outscored the Broncos? Would you believe that the Tennessee Titans are only nine points behind the Broncos? The Broncos are winning because they've only allowed 79 points through five games, which is super impressive. But this is not the uh, Peyton Manning type team we're accustomed to seeing. Hey, guess who else has more points for than the Broncos? The Cleveland Browns. Yes, sir. That's true. Josh McCown. Hey, <laughs> Josh McCown, man, he is tearing up the league right now. Hey, I believe it was the number two performance in franchise history. I think only Bernie had more in one game. He had a 400-yard yeah. game against the Ravens. So in Baltimore, big win for them. So a lot of reasons to be excited in Cleveland. Uh, hey, if the offensive line and the secondary start playing well, maybe this team can – maybe they can do something. I don't know. I mean, look, the Browns – it was a disappointing loss to San Diego, too. Disappointing loss to Oakland. A lot of shoulda, coulda, wouldas with them. I feel like that's the same thing every year. Yeah, I mean, that's the uh, the love-hate relationship you have with them is that it's not just that they are awful, that they, their record usually reflects that they are awful, but if if you watch every single game, you get the sense that they, they could have won uh, 10 games every year. It's just a few one or two plays every game that that costs them half of their season and that's that is the key frustration with them that is why they are the saddest franchise to cheer for because they constantly let you down it's agonizing to cheer for them because they have so many three-point losses there was one year in 2003 when the Colts and Patriots met in the AFC title game the Browns lost to both those teams two high scoring offenses in 03 nine to three and nine to six (laughs) 9 to 3 and 9 to 6. Like come on. I, I, I that you hit it on the head. That's the agonizing part is because they always lose but they always tease. Like they always just do one thing that completely screws up the whole game or or something and it's 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 just frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my last takeaway is just the Lions are 0 and 5 and Matt Stafford uh might be looking for another job at the end of the year. It has not looked good for them. Yeah, it has been a uh, yeah, not good at all. Zero and five. I I, I, did, I didn't think they'd be great, but I don't think I thought they'd be this bad. I thought they'd maybe be in the two and three range by now. So it's uh, so hey, you know what? Uh, we didn't. I don't think we even mentioned them in our five teams that would be drafting at the top five. So that's a little bit of a surprise. No, definitely. I mean, just look at the bottom of all the divisions. I mean, the Ravens, bottom in AFC North, Dolphins, bottom in AFC East, Lions at the bottom, Eagles at the bottom, uh, Chiefs at the bottom. So a lot of surprising teams not off to good starts. Certainly, certainly. And usually this stuff has its way of evening itself out, but we'll see. I mean, uh, some of these teams have dug themselves in some pretty big holes. Maybe we're going to see some new faces in the playoffs this year. We'll find out. But unfortunately, we won't find out on this podcast because we are out of time. But thank you guys for listening to us once again. What are you talking about? Presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. Please come back to our website. Check out some blog posts. Bob wrote a very excellent blog post analyzing the schedule and the impact of some of these nfl teams it's very interesting you should give it a read it's on fenleyroadsports.com you can follow us on twitter fenley rd sports follow us on instagram fenley road sports and please come back subscribe to our podcast via itunes and come back next week for some more sports talk but until then we will see you next time all right i'll see you chris
Take care, bye.